and welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know-how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today, I'm really excited to welcome to the show Dr. Robin Tiger. Robin Tiger is a double board certified physician in diagnostic radiology and lifestyle medicine. As founder of the physician wellness practice Stress Free MD, she uniquely combines her trainings in medicine, yoga therapy, meditation, and life coaching to teach other physicians a whole person approach to elevate their overall health and happiness. Her innovative CME courses, coaching, presentations, retreats, and podcasts focus on the key topics of stress relief, nutrition, fitness, sleep, and social connection for complete physical, mental, and emotional well-being, resilience, and longevity. Dr. Tiger serves as lead faculty and subject matter expert in stress management for the Foundations of Lifestyle Medicine Board Review Manual. She's host of the Stress-Free MD podcast, Western Carolina Medical Society Healthy Healer Partner, and Surge On. I'll put that in the... um, in the show notes, Surge on App Self-Care Key Opinion Leader for Surgeons. When she's not busy supporting her colleagues, Robin can be found enjoying her own self-care through hiking, paddleboarding, meditating, yoga, playing with her dog, husband, and kids in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. So without further ado, let's meet Dr. Robin Tiger. Welcome to the show, Robin. Thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on and speak to the show's audience. Oh, thank you for having me, Adam. I am really honored and excited to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you. Um, and the honors of mine, honestly. Um, okay, let's let's dive in then um with question one. Um, I've read out that absolutely beautiful um bio and um so much going on there, but maybe um you could tell the audience um a bit a bit more personally about yourself, including what your current work roles are and what leadership positions you currently hold or have held in the past, please? Yeah. So going back a decade or so ago, um, 15 years, maybe I was one of those really burned out, stressed out, not well physicians. And it was at a time when we weren't really talking about any of that. I had two little kids, a husband, a dog. I was practicing radiology. I was in charge of lots of things, both in my community as well as involved in the medical center and, you know, from room mom to on the board of this, that, and the other thing. And I was developing lots of symptoms that seemed completely disconnected. And I started seeking out our colleagues for those symptoms because they didn't make sense to me and they sort of developed over time. So I got migraine headaches with this intractable vomiting. I had vertigo and dizziness, right, with that vertigo and um, tinnitus, so loud I couldn't sleep at night, that ringing in my ears. Mm. My gums would spontaneously bleed. Like I wouldn't even have to be eating anything. 
right? What does that have to do with anything, right? I had reflux with chest pain. My body hurt. I felt like I describe it as the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz, just like, oh, just felt like everything hurt. I couldn't move. And I couldn't digest my food. Like no matter what I ate, I had this abdominal pain. My bowel habits were all over the place. And I developed this really scary symptom of intermittent paresthesias, which means that my hands and my feet would intermittently lose sensation, tingling, numbness. Mm. And that was particularly terrifying, particularly as, as a physician thinking about having a debilitating neurologic disease, right? Mm. What was mm. that? Why would I all of a sudden be cutting up vegetables and I can't feel the knife in my hand, or I would be driving my car and I couldn't feel the steering wheel in my hand, or I'd be in a procedure doing a biopsy, holding a biopsy gun, taking a breast biopsy, for example, under ultrasound, and then lose feeling in the middle of the procedure of the gun in my hand. Mm. Terrifying. So those were all like physiologic symptoms. And then I started having lots of dark thoughts, thoughts like I can't take another day. I don't want to be feeling this way. I don't want to feel the stress. I don't want to feel the body sensations. I don't want to worry. And I don't actually want to be here. And that was terrifying. Terrifying, Adam, because I already had three physician colleagues who had died from suicide. Mm -hmm. And so that was me circling the drain at rock bottom several years ago. And I went to gastroenterologists and neurologists and periodontists and Um, I had a mental health care professional on board and I was taking lots of pills because, well, it's a pill for an ill. You show up with a symptom and you're given a pill. And I had a pile of pills that I was taking every day. I wasn't feeling better. And I had all my labs drawn, which were negative. And I had every imaging study being a radiologist that they were all normal. Mm. And everyone saw me as this individual symptom. But there had to be more because I wasn't getting better. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do. I said, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm a Western trained physician. I've done all the things that I was taught, right? I'm seeking out the specialist. I'm taking the pills. I'm going to therapy. I tried acupuncture, massage, chiropractor. I tried everything. And I just was getting worse. And so what happened was I saw this fork in the road and I said, hey, I'm either going to end up like my colleagues which looking into my own children's eyes, I said, "Mm, no, Mm. or I got to figure this out. Got to figure this out. And so maybe there's something outside Western medicine that I need to learn and I need to understand. I was already eating a really healthy diet. I was already exercising too much. That was actually something I buffered with. I escaped to. And so what was left? you know, what else I'm eating? Well, I'm exercising. What else do I need to do? I started hearing more and more about things like yoga, things like meditation. And Adam, I thought those things were ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, I I just eye rolled all the time, you know, thinking that people were twisting their bodies into strange shapes, turning upside down, playing weird music, saying weird languages, wearing weird clothes, all the things that lots of people who are listening may, may think as well. And, um, well, I kept seeing this advertisement for this like yoga 101 series down the road from my house. And I don't know how many times I saw it before I said, okay, maybe I should check this thing out, but I didn't want to go alone. 
So my next door neighbor, who's a nurse, I said, Hey, you want to go do this thing with me? We'll get out of the house. Um, she's like, um, no, <laughs> <laughs> she had the same eye rolling that I had. And I said, look, if it's terrible, we'll leave and I'll take you out to dinner. And she said, okay. And so I remember that day so clearly. I can't tell you how many cases I read, how many biopsies I did, procedures I did, and got home. I cooked and fed my kids dinner. I bathed them, got them ready, handed them off to my husband to make it in time for this 7.30 class, walked in with my tail between my legs, exhausted, eye rolling. And by the time I left, I was calm, I was clear, and I wasn't tired. Hmm. And I didn't know what happened. And that was the first time in decades, maybe even ever, hmm. that I felt that way. And that was the beginning of my understanding of what was going on with me. Yeah. And so from there, what do we do as doctors? <laughs> Our left brain is like, what happened? We research, <laughs> right? We re we're like, what, what just happened inside of me? And so that was the beginning of my diving into the medical literature and my understanding that what I was learning as I continued taking these classes and I continued to start to feel better was that I was totally dysregulated in my nervous system and that what I was learning was how to bring homeostasis or balance back to my autonomic nervous system, which is composed of our sympathetic or stress response and our parasympathetic or relaxation response. And I had been living with chronic stress for many years. Mm -hmm. And as I continued to take these classes and continue on further and learn about meditation and learn about how to make myself feel better, my symptoms that I described to you all began to go away. Mm -hmm. All of them even the paresthesias, the numbness, the tingling, mm -hmm. even the dark thoughts. And so from there, what do we do? Well, when we want to learn something more, we study it. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to study, to be a yoga teacher, even though I didn't think I'd ever teach anybody anything. Because my doctor brain was like, I got to learn this 150%. Yeah. And so I went into teacher training because that's what we do. And it was there that I learned about the field of yoga therapy, which is Above and beyond the training of a yoga teacher, you have to start there. Yoga teacher's 200 hours, yoga therapist is 1,000 hours over a three-year period. And I said, wow, if I could learn this and doctor in a different way, I could teach people what I learned about relieving their stress. I could help people with cancer and diabetes and hypertension and heart disease and all of these things that we know in medicine, help them in a different way. Because I learned in the medical literature that this was beneficial for so many things. Yeah. And so I went on to become certified in yoga therapy and in meditation. Meditation, one that specifically was created for Walter Reed Army Hospital, which is our military hospital here, to help our military relieve symptoms from post-traumatic stress disorder and to really yeah. process their experiences. And so that's all pretty much body-based work that I'm describing and what was left? Well, there was life coaching, the mindset work. So after spending many years educating on what I had learned through yoga therapy and meditation, and then experiencing life coaching for myself, I went on to become a certified life coach to help people 
with their thoughts, understanding that first we have to regulate our body and then we need to work with our thoughts. So I call it this bottom-up, top-down approach to stress relief and wellness. But there was more. What else? Well, what about sleeping better? What about eating better? What about connecting better? What about all the external substances that people are utilizing? What about exercise and so on? What happened was I learned about this organization called the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which incorporated all of these things that I was talking about and more. And I was like a kid in a candy shop. I said, there is one place, one-stop shopping where everything that I do, I'm already teaching and want to learn more about lives. Wow. I found my people, found my home. And so I was connected to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine by another lifestyle medicine physician. And they said, hey, we love what you're doing. We have these key pillars, these pillars, stress relief, exercise, social connection, nutrition, sleep, external substances. And we're feeling pretty good about most of them, but not the stress piece. Would you join our faculty? Would you come in? and help create the new board content, the board review content for our next upcoming board review manual. And so that was my entrance into lifestyle medicine. That was my entrance into becoming a leader, becoming faculty for one of the most amazing newer specialties in medicine that Mm. focuses on prevention, reversal, and treatment of disease, illnesses, and symptoms through lifestyle change. And this was my entrance into that. And so I became certified as a lifestyle medicine physician and added all of that to what I was able to share with the people who are looking to improve their well-being. Wow. That's, that's quite a journey. That's, uh, that's powerful. Um, thanks so much for, for sharing all of that. Um, yeah. So it all came, came out of your own circumstances and you know just kind of that that was the catalyst and 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 here you are now kind of doing doing all of these amazing things and helping people who are some of whom are presumably in in similar situations to to what you found yourself in all those years ago um that's remarkable thank you thank you so much um so yeah, I mean, can can you maybe tell us a, um, a wee bit more about the um, the leadership stuff that you do for the um, the, the lifestyle medicine um, college? Yeah, so the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, as I mentioned, is is an organization that um, certifies not only doctors but other healthcare professionals in yeah. lifestyle medicine. We as physicians take a longer more difficult exam (laughs) that has more clinical information in it, but there are healthcare professionals of all walks of life that are becoming certified in lifestyle medicine and traditional medicine, as we learned it, Adam is a disease management system. So someone has diabetes, we're managing it. Someone has hypertension, we're managing it. Somebody has, you know, an illness, we're managing it, but we're not actually necessarily getting to the root cause of why that's happening and can we reverse it and sometimes Mm. actually eliminate it and even prevent it. Mm. 
So yeah. what happened over years is the medical literature was identifying that there were these key lifestyle changes that we can make to prevent, reverse, and treat illness. And so you can think of lifestyle medicine as coming from the opposite end of the spectrum in medicine, not working from the disease management. Someone's got all this stuff and we're managing it, but mm. Hey, what can we do about it? How can yeah. we actually reverse it pre and mm. prevent it and treat it? And so that's how I like to think about lifestyle medicine is that we have the spectrum of medicine and we're working from the opposite end, sometimes even the beginning. Mm. And the lifestyle changes that I mentioned, stress management, sleep, exercise, social connection, um, nutrition, and risky substances are the six key components that together, not just one, you can't just be someone that exercises a lot or someone that decides to eat well, but we like spokes on a wheel. Mm -hmm. We need all of these spokes for that wheel to work. And they mm -hmm. all talk to each other and they all work together. So with respect to lifestyle medicine, in my position is that they wanted to amp up, they wanted to increase and improve their education when it came to the stress management pillar. Mm. And I like to focus on both prevention of stress as well as relief of symptoms of stress. Mm -hmm. And so there's a section called emotional mental health and well-being. And that was the section that I had the privilege this last year and a half to edit and create new content for both. Mm content for the hard copy manual, as well as video content. It was just released this month. So anybody out there who is studying for the lifestyle medicine boards as of this month, I'll see you on the inside. We, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to share this content with you, not only my section, but the sections in all the other pillars as well to improve your own health and well-being improve the health and well-being of everyone you have the privilege of sharing this education with so you're um obviously you're treating your own um clients your own patients um but you're teaching the you know next generations of um of lifestyle medicine practitioners and and lifestyle medicine physicians um and obviously create creating courses for the for the college um and and running those courses leading on those courses that's that's fantastic and obviously uh, i mean how much um how much medicine are you uh, like you know conventional medicine your radiology are you still doing zero aha uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so i transitioned adam about a decade ago into this yeah. wellness space feeling so drawn and so passionate i practiced yeah. radiology for 15 years and as I started to feel better and I started to dive into these other areas, I was just drawn strongly yeah. to educate others and what I had learned. And yeah. I couldn't do that while still practicing radiology in the capacity that I was doing. I needed to actually yeah. educate myself. I saw this yeah. big gaping hole in our healthcare system, which really is self-care. Right, yeah. self-care for our practitioners, self-care for our patients. And so I just felt this need to fill this gaping hole with the education yeah. that I had learned. And I continue to do that. As I learn more, I teach more and I share yeah. more and I educate more. Yeah. So I've been in this space for about 10 going on 11 years now. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. No. And, and, this is where your um, your leadership is now, isn't it? You know, and kind of more, more and more you're getting involved. And I guess you'll 
presumably you know plan to do more and take on more and, and lead more through um through through this area um yeah in terms of your um your personal leadership style and you know i'm aware that it it does evolve you know obviously you and you're an attending um physician for for 15 years um and you know a, a, a doctor before that as well as a resident and so on um you, you know you would have uh, been in in leadership capacities then and you would have had a style then um what's your what's your current leadership style within the um the, the lifestyle medicine roles that you have for the college what's your style like my style is that i like to meet people where they are hmm. and i like to take away all those shoulds right? I get in the head of the person that's reading the content. I imagine I'm that person because I used to be that person. Hmm. I should have known how to eat healthy. I should have known how to relieve my stress. I should have known how to sleep better. I should have known how to move my body in a safe way. And I should have known what the guidelines are as to how much I should be moving my body and at what intensity hmm. each week. Yeah. I should have known the debilitating effects of alcohol. Yeah. and drugs. I should have known how important social connection is instead of me just saying I'm too busy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of shoulds. And when I yeah. teach physicians and I teach other healthcare professionals in particular, and I teach non-healthcare professionals as well, there is all of that. So my teaching style is let me be that person in front of me right. and let me give them what they know, what they need to know. Let me teach right. them in a way that they learn best. And let me teach them in a way that they understand best. And yeah. let me teach them what they don't already know. Yeah. And that has really been my superpower. Yeah. And that is the the reflections that I get is that even from the most highly educated, you make things so easy. You make the most complex things so easy to understand. And yet they are not difficult. They are difficult topics, but they're not difficult in the way you explain them to me. And you teach me in a methodical way that I can remember and understand. And so right. one is that I like to meet people where they are and I like to teach in a way that they, they learn best. And yeah. I also, from my heart, right? right? As a leader, I'm coming from my heart. I'm coming from this place of abundance. I'm coming from this place of, of passion and love for the fellow human, for themselves and for the others that they will be ripple effect educating as well. And I just show up as me. Sometimes yeah. it's silly. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's more serious, but just being my authentic self and showing yeah. up in a leader in that way. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you, you took the word out of my mouth because um, I could I could hear the authenticity um, as you were talking, and then at the end you said you you show up as your authentic authentic self, and uh, so yeah, for for sure you you are an authentic leader. You know you um, as you say you you kind of cast your mind back and and you know reflect on and remember what it was like for you when you were kind of going through the the learning process. Um, studying all of this and studying for the exams and, and learning the material. Um, and, you know, it's like you, you're putting yourself in their shoes. So there's a, you know, you sound like a very empathic leader um, to me as well. 
and then there's also you know you talked about seeing them as uh, uh seeing the students as as equals and that it's a partnership so it sounds like a very collaborative sort of process between you and and the learners um and obviously you know very important um the heart-led side of things as well um you know i think that's uh for me that's absolutely vital so um really like that thank you so much um you've you've told us um a, a bit about your journey to leadership how you got in involved in lifestyle medicine in the first place and then there was this um you know opening as it were that you would kind of right place right time to to take on the um the stress pillar for the college and kind of and kind of lead on that i mean do you do you have any any sort of reflections on that that journey? I mean, it doesn't sound like it was a particularly long journey, but you know, how do you feel about that that journey where you went from being qualified to kind of leading on that, you know, one of those vital pillars for the for the uh, college? Yeah, well, for someone that doesn't like to write, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of writing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that we need to step out of our comfort zone when what we believe in is so strongly aligned with our heart and our values. Mm. Mm. And so I had never done anything like this. You know, I've written several book chapters, which again, I don't love to write. I'm listening to myself. But when <laughs> when when the project calls me, when I feel that I can be of benefit to the health and well-being of other people, mm. then it's a yes. And that's how I felt with this most recent project. And it was a year and a half of, at times, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a lot to be editing and develop content and stay within the boundaries of what um, I was allowed to do and what yeah. was expected. Yeah. Um, and to make a lot of deadlines and more edits and lots of corrective criticism and lots of coaching around you know, that and not taking things personally and knowing that it was just for the betterment of the project. And, and, um, so taking care of myself during all of that was really yeah. important and yeah. just really staying focused on, on the goal. And the yeah. goal was really teaching other people how to help themselves. Yeah. And so they can actually teach other people how to help themselves. Yeah. And, um, the journey was a bit of a roller coaster. I wouldn't change it for the world. I look forward and hope to be on the next uh, faculty group for the next edition in another right. few years where more content and more rich information can be shared. Yeah. But, you know, being totally honest, it was it was definitely a hard task. But as we say, we can do hard things. Yeah. And I invite anyone out there to do hard things. Don't be afraid of them. If your yeah. heart's pulling you, do it. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I mean, um, what I'm hearing is that, you know, you you were obviously you were working within a lifestyle um, medicine uh, arena. And one of the, you know, the the key tenets is really about self-care. And you you were kind of working on your own self-care at that time because it was it was all quite a quite a lot of unknown unknown stuff for you stuff you weren't kind of comfortable with perhaps um but you know you employed a real growth mindset um to to the task um with the the goal inside of being able to help people serve 
serve people um and uh, and help them with their health and help and help students who want to help others um so yeah that's a that's a, a wonderful um way to think i mean i haven't really heard people couch their leadership journeys in that in that way and frame it in that way before and i really like that you know that just really looking after yourself and really kind of pushing yourself pushing the boundaries of of what you're what you think you're capable of and obviously some mindset work there as well isn't there and um so yeah yeah fantastic um now i know you mentioned um earlier on there was a a, a lifestyle physician that you you met who kind of got you involved in and in, in this um is that the the kind of the, the main person that kind of helped you you know rise um within this new field or uh, are there any uh, maybe maybe in the past when you were a physician um can you recall any people male or female that actually helped you kind of you know kind of get get promoted and take on leadership stuff yeah i would say twofold so back when i was training in my residency i had one attendant attending physician and radiology, Dr. Bernie Ostrom, rest in peace, who said that my husband and I were the only couple that he's ever trained because he was actually my husband's chairman during his program. And he was four years ahead of me in radiology. Yeah. And then when he, when Dr. Ostrom stepped down from his chairmanship, he um, still wanted to teach. He had this passion mm. for teaching. And so he came to my hospital, which was about 15 minutes away from my husband's hospital and took on the role as, as a regular attending, no longer chairman, and then mm. taught me through my residency. And he was just this amazing human. And he taught me to never say no. Mm. When He would say, when someone comes down and asks you, can you do this thing? What do you say you know for? <laughs> you say yes. You always say yes. And then you go figure out how to do it. Mm. Don't say no. Don't say no. <laughs> you can do it. And he was the first person, and he wasn't a life coach, but he was the first person that now when we say you can do hard things, I mean, he was the first person to really, really teach me that. Always mm. say yes. Always yeah. say yes. And I hear his voice a lot. I've heard mm. his voice over the years so many times. I remember him, you know, just telling me over and over again, you say yes, and then you figure it out. And, you know, we've come to understanding in coaching that we talk about that a different way, that it's never lack of resources, it's lack of resourcefulness. Mm. It's not lack of resources, it's lack of resourcefulness. So how can you be resourceful? So I say back in the day when I was training in medicine in my residency, he was very influential in any step I took forward, whether it be, you know, in my professional journey or even in my personal journey. And then fast forward, yes, this local lifestyle medicine physician, what happened was I moved from New Jersey to North Carolina to Asheville, North Carolina, and I wanted to continue to support physicians. And I connected with the Western Carolina Medical Society who was very, very excited and open to all that I was doing. It was such a breath of fresh air mm. because things were a bit behind in Jersey, I have to say, and they were so mm. progressive here, um, more so in health and well-being. Mm. And I learned about the Lifestyle Medicine Advancement Group. And I said, mm. what is that? <laughs> I've yeah. never heard of that. At one of the annual events, somebody introduced me to, it was actually, I have to have to, 
hats off to a yoga teacher who's also a physical mm -hmm. therapist who I was talking with at this medical society event. She's the wife of one of the physicians. She saw one of my flyers on the table and said, Hey, I do yoga too. And, and she said, you, what are you about? And I told her, and she took me to the, this female physician, who's one of the co-founders with this other male physician that we talked mm -hmm. about, um, of the lifestyle medicine advancement group, never heard of lifestyle medicine before very curious about it. And she said, Hey, we're doing this vegan potluck at my house for our next meeting. Do you want to come? I'm like, sure. And so I went there to this meeting with my husband and there were 40 ish people and they were all amazing. Everybody was from different facets in the area in wellness. Some were healthcare professionals, some were not, some were from the YMCA and the gyms and the nonprofits mm. and so on. And one physician that I heard speak, Dr. Brian Asbill, talking about lifestyle medicine and how he was leaving his cardiology practice because even though he loved practicing medicine, he didn't like practicing medicine the way that he had been, which was this disease management system. He says, hmm. I don't want to manage hypertension anymore. I don't want to manage people's heart disease. I don't want to manage people's lipids because hmm. I want to prevent and reverse all that. And hmm. he was the very first board certified lifestyle medicine physician in this country. Now he joked because wow. he said, well, I was the first person to come out of the test the very first time they gave it, <laughs> but he <laughs> is the first person technically. And I said, I want to meet this guy because I am so aligned with everything he's talking about. Yeah. So I had a list of everyone in the group. I had an email. I said, I cold emailed him. <laughs> I said, Hey, <laughs> um, I'm Robin Tiger. I'm a physician. I just moved here. I'm really moved by what you're talking about. Can we have lunch? And he said, sure. And so we sat down and we had lunch and I was just fascinated by everything he was talking about. And I was telling him about me and he said, I really need to connect you with one of the education admins at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. I think that you two should really have a chat. Mm. This was back in, I think maybe 2000. 18, 2019, 2019, maybe when I first moved to Asheville and we connected and we had several email conversations and she had said, I see you as playing a really important role with our stress pillar. And when we have some education content coming up, I'm going to reach out to you. And when the time came, she did. And that was my entrance into becoming faculty. They asked me if I would join them as faculty and take on the role of the lead faculty and subject matter expert in stress management for the new board review uh, manual. And so that was my entrance into the world of lifestyle medicine. And then they said, hey, we would love for you to become certified. And whoa, imposter syndrome started flaring <laughs> up because I said, oh my goodness, I'm a radiologist. I'm not a clinician that does like primary care. And I have not taken a board exam in, I don't know, 30 years. I don't even remember. It had been quite <laughs> a long time. Long. <laughs> it was a long time. It was a long time. It was it was a really long time. Um, it might have been because what? It was probably, uh, I don't know, in the early 90s. Was that like my last board exam? I mean, I'm in my upper 50s now. So it was a really long time. And all I kept thinking was, this is my home. This is totally my home. And they're handing it mm -hmm. to me. They're like, as part of your honorarium, we're not even going to charge you. We just want you to sit for the boards. <laughs> You've already mm -hmm. got all the content. I did some coaching around it. And I just, I heard Dr. Ostrom, <laughs> you just say yes. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I did. And it was the most magnificent several months of studying content that I love. And I thought that I knew so much about these topics and I didn't know so much about these topics. Mm. And the more I learn, the more I continue to teach. And the more I continue to teach, the more things I continue to develop, the more programs and so on. And so that mm. was my entrance into the college. And it was initially through that showing up at the Medical Society yeah. event saying, yeah. yes, I don't know anybody here. I'm going to walk into this Medical Society event where all these people are friends and there are little groups mm. talking. I'm brand new. And mm. I'm just going to say, hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's see what happens. That was yeah. lovely. I mean, yeah. it sounds like, um, you know, it, it, it is, um, it's a brave thing to do. It, it really, you know, as you say, turning up to a meeting, you don't know anyone and, um, you know, then, you know, it's just, yeah, wonderfully courageous. And then, and it, you know, you had your flyers and so on. And then um, you, the physical therapist yoga instructor kind of saw your flyers and then that you know then she introduced you to um the lifestyle medicine position that sounds all very kind of serendipitous um but then you reached out to um that that doctor that you mentioned you know and you you just as you say you cold emailed him um so you were very <laughs> yeah. you, you know you were very opportunistic in a you know in a, in a good way you know you were speculative opportunistic you know you kind of um know you you made you made that happen if you hadn't if you hadn't have done that you wouldn't have met him and then you wouldn't have been introduced to the education administrator and and all of this sort of stuff it's just yeah um i think this is good learning for for the listeners you know to uh to to be courageous and to be opportunistic and um seize opportunities and uh and, and show up um but also um serendipity is is certainly involved but you know, if you don't, the more you show up, the more serendipity can can play a part as well, can't it? So, yeah, yeah. like that. Thank you. That's that's really 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 good. Um, okay, so um, I mean, it's, it it sounds like the um, the lifestyle medicine side of your career has been, you know, generally very positive. Um. So I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna hazard a guess here that um you know like my most of my guests you you would have had some challenges maybe more in your in your clinical roles um back when you were a, a, a practicing radiologist and so on um do, do you have any 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 challenges you know that you that you can think of uh that are appropriate to to share that you you know you don't mind sharing and um maybe use them as a, a an example of how to cope with these these difficult um situations in medicine and move move past them yeah absolutely so you know as i mentioned i'm 57 approaching 58 years young as i like to say <laughs> but uh when i was training and even into practice there was an extreme amount of sexual harassment there was a lot of bullying at times. No. I know that you talk about this, um, and it's a passion of yours as well. And through all of that adversity, I'm grateful to be in this position today. Although no. I would be lying if I didn't say that I don't think about it 
on a regular basis and that it doesn't show its ugly self sometimes mm. in a thought, mm. sometimes in a dream, um, sometimes mm. um, activated or triggered by something I hear in the news or read or from, yeah. you know, and I'm learning now from colleagues that I had back in med school that they experienced the same and yeah. we didn't talk about it. Yeah. And the sick thing is that we didn't talk about it because it was normal. Yeah. It was like, you just, you know, someone's grabbing you and you just got to keep walking. Someone says something disgusting to you and you just got to keep moving mm. because it's kind of like normal. Yeah. And I say to myself now, why was it normal? Mm. You know, I think about this one very dangerous thing that happened when, you know, in medical school, I had a lot of groping. There was even in the OR, the surgeons were grabbing at me. They were saying disgusting things. This one surgeon was known to touch your back and to determine if your bra clip was in the back or the front. I mean, why? Mm -hmm. And we all knew that as we passed him in a narrow hallways, he was going to do this thing. And we just... He did it and that was it. And the problem was that, you know, he's a chairman of surgery. So yeah. you can't complain to the chairman. Yeah. The same thing is he had a nephew. His nephew was doing very disgusting things all the time when he was, you know, we'd be calling a code. He'd be up with a nurse in a call room. He, you know, he was doing inappropriate things. And then he would grab and say things that were inappropriate Um on rounds and so on. And we can't report him because he's a nephew of the chairman of the guy who's doing these things touching you appropriately, mm. right? Yeah. yeah. It was Adam that was like normal. Like we we didn't we couldn't do anything about it. It was just yeah. expected. And so I took that in med school and I had this arrival fallacy where I said, okay, once I get through this as a med student, I become a doctor and I've got the degree after my name. I got the MD once I have that, no one's going to bother me anymore. Mm. Well, mm, I couldn't have been more wrong. I can tell you as a resident, a very upsetting situation that happened was I was just finished an angio. So for those listening, we had to put a large hole in someone's femoral artery. That's an artery in your groin that you put a catheter in. And after we do that, it's important to hold pressure for several minutes to close that hole off. And so I was at the point where I was holding pressure and the patient's groin to make sure that that gets closed off. And the attending, the surgical attending of that patient came in the room and he comes up to me and I thought he was going to ask me a question like about his patient. He grabbed me from underneath, like below your butt in a place that totally is inappropriate while I'm holding pressure on this patient's groin. And I jumped, but I couldn't leave my hands. I needed to keep mm. my hands on the groin so the blood wouldn't spurt all over the place. Mm. He thought it was being funny and cute. And I heard that he does, did this a lot when he was in the intensive care unit in the surgical intensive care unit with the nurses. And they're all like laughing and they think it's so funny. And I don't know if they really thought it was funny, but mm. you know, he got away with doing this a lot. And a friend of mine who's chief surgical resident was in the hallway and he he saw me jump, but he didn't know what happened. Mm. He was sort of in the door the doorway of the angio suite while his attending had come in. 
So afterwards, I was, of course, incredibly upset. And I talked to the chief resident about it. And he was just so upset about it. You know, he says, guys doing this all the time in the in the in the unit, he's grabbing nurses, mm-hmm. shouldn't be doing this stuff. And my angio attending was a female. And it had changed from my residency when it was a male. And so I actually talked to her about it. And she says, we have to report this. And I said, why? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing's mm. going to happen. This guy is, you know, no one's going to do anything. They're like, no, we have a new surgical chairman. It's not the other guy anymore. Someone else took over. Mm. I said, okay. So we didn't have email or, you know, anything technical at that point. I actually wrote a mm. handwritten letter. I sat down. I wrote a whole letter about what happened. And I folded it up and put an envelope and gave it to the secretary of this new chairman. This new chairman called me into his office and he couldn't have been kinder. He was so nice. Very, very gentleman-like. He said, I just came here from California. I have never experienced what I've been hearing in the short amount of time that I have been chairman. Unbelievable what's going on here. I'm so sorry for your experience. And I will talk to that doctor and I will, you know, he will be reprimanded. Well, he did bring him in. And then the the chairman brought me back in and said, I just want to let you know that I did speak to this doctor and he did admit that he did this and he's very Mm -hmm. sorry. And this is now in his file. So that was the furthest I'd ever gotten. Um, It was, it was wonderful to be heard and seen. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, now fast forward a couple of years, I do, I'm now starting my fellowship at a different hospital. Day one of my fellowship, I'm walking down the hallway. Who do I see? Oh my goodness. The surgeon now is in the hospital where I'm doing my fellowship. Oh my goodness. You want to talk about PTSD flaring up, Mm. right? So, And I didn't have all the tools that I have now. And we actually had offices across from each other. He was running a vascular lab. I know. But I actually was honest and told my um, program director what had happened to me and that even though we share a vascular lab with his attending, that I did not want to work with him. Mm. And he was very understanding. And so I never did have to work with him. Although every day when I walked down the hallway, I always had to think to myself, am I going to see him? I have to pass his office first. Is he going to emerge? Am I going to see this guy? Mm. You know, even though for three more years of my residency, I'd see him, but he didn't touch me again. There was always that, that feeling, Mm. that, that heart racing, that fear. Um, So that was pretty awful. So now I'm like, okay, I have a rival fallacy again. I'm done my residency. I'm done my fellowship. Now I'm an attending. Now I've really made it. No Mm. one's ever going to hurt me again. Yeah. Wrong again. (laughs) Couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, So as an attending, things kept happening. Little things. Like I remember when we had actual films, we didn't actually have digital images. We had films that we Mm. hung up. I remember going over a a case, a a CAT scan with a surgeon, a very good looking surgeon who was doing all the things again, groping and whatnot. I knew about this guy. And I was, had my hand up with a red wax pencil. That's what we used to do. We used to write Mm. on the films. And next thing I know, his hand is on top of mine, pressing against the film. And he's looking at me. I'm like, what are you doing? Like I pulled my hand away. I'm like, mm-hmm. what are you? What are you doing? Like, don't. No. Mm, very uncomfortable, and I was alone. Mm. It was a little scary. Mm, then it got worse. So now, I'm in practice, 
in this office and this new radiologist was hired. He comes over to me and he positions himself in between me and the films and he's like rubbing up against me. Oh, God. I'm like, what do you, you know, like, does anybody else in this room see this? Like, who is this guy? What? Like, I, I've been here for several years. Everybody here is super nice. I love everybody that works here. What you, what, you hired this guy? Like, what? he's totally inappropriate. The guy leaves me notes all the time. He keeps changing his schedule to be in the office where I am. I was really getting upset. So I talked to the chairman and I said, hey, you know, what's going on here? I learned that this radiologist actually had been found having an affair with a technologist, and he's married with kids, in his last job. They knew that. They hired him anyway. And wow. he, I, I heard that he was, you know, the chairman, my chairman thought it was funny that he said, oh, yeah, when he came for his interview, he's looking up and down and commenting on all the female staff that we have in the office. I'm like, are yeah. you kidding me? Like, why did you hire this guy? So mm. you knew that he was unsafe. Mm. And now I feel unsafe. And so I'm, I'm looking in the parking lot. Is near my car? Is he going to be where mm. I'm working? So I spent a lot of time being really fearful and uncomfortable. Mm. So Adam, that arrival fallacy that I kept having mm. point in my career over and over again was, was, was a lie. It was wrong. And there are many, many more instances that I could talk about. But um, I have to say that the the sexual harassment was was something that continued from medical school all the way through training and into being an attending. And it wasn't okay, but it was normalized. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, Robin. Sorry to sorry to hear all that. Um it's, I mean, it, it sounds like that you know, in that in that era when this was going on. Other than, you know, it's, it sounds like you know you kind of looked for allies, like the chief chief resident you you spoke about. You know, you spoke to people in authority, people who you thought would help, mm -hmm. um, and just being as assertive as you could, given that you were in a fearful state, you know, saying no to inappropriate conduct. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't sound like there was probably much more that you could do um, in those days. It, what what do you, th do you think? I mean, was there, was there anything uh, now that maybe you would do differently that you, you know, that you can advise people who can't find themselves in similar situations? Yeah, we, we do the shoulda, coulda, wouldas a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to say that when the people in charge of you are are doing the things to you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you don't have yeah. people to report report yeah. them to, you're really at a standstill. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm so happy to know that a lot of this is not, and the people don't stand for this now, yeah. you know, in today's day yeah. and age. Yeah. What I'm what I'm unhappy to hear about and what I mentioned earlier is that I am finding out now that friends of mine in medical school were sexually assaulted. And for me, it was groping and being touched inappropriately and being spoken to. But there were people that were really deeply sexually assaulted by attendings that I am learning about now. 
And so to answer your question, if I could go back and know what I know now, what I would like to do is to be honest and open with my classmates to see if anybody yeah. else was experiencing what I was experiencing. The power yeah. of we, the power yeah. of we, because I'm only learning about a few and I know if there's a few, there's even more. Yeah. And maybe, yeah. maybe if we could have created a collection of us and that we all knew that we were going through this, yeah. even if we couldn't have made a change because the people in charge were the ones that were doing this, yeah. we could have found strength and support in each other. Yeah. And that's that power of social community and social connection that is a key pillar in lifestyle medicine Yeah, is that we didn't have to do this alone. And I did it alone and I didn't tell anybody about yeah, the things that yeah. were happening to me. I just kept, okay, keep going. Oh, that happened. Keep going. Because yeah. that's what we did. Yeah, so how many yeah. of us were doing that? How many of us were experiencing what I was experiencing and were just going along with it? You know, these things yeah. happen in medicine. These things happen in the military. These things happen in everyday uh -huh. life. These things happen in, in the entertainment industry, right? So uh -huh. this happens over and over again. And, you yeah. know, what could I do differently? I would love to have had a collective of people that I could lean on and we could lean on each other and support each yeah. other. And so yeah. that I think if I would have, you know, my wiser self now is talking to my younger self, yeah. um, that's what I would have liked to have done. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm finding now with, um, doctors and other professionals that I'm working with who have been targets of workplace bullies. Um, and actually there are, there are a lot of them that won't kind of come forward um, because, well, some of them think that it, it's just them, you know, uh, that no, that no one else is experiencing it because, you know, they put the blame on themselves and it's their fault because they're, they're weak or, or what, you know, whatever that, you know, they, kind of accept that they're a target for for whatever reason um and then they feel ashamed they feel ashamed of themselves they feel ashamed of what's happened and and you know that really prohibits them from sharing you know um and i guess that kind of um not even contemplating that anyone else could be experiencing it um and feeling that you're on your own and feeling the shame was all the worst 30 years ago um i mean it's still there now in my experience um but i think you know we are slowly becoming better at sharing these these sorts of things with each other do you think so yeah i think yeah. people are much more verbal and people are much more aware yeah. we have that whole yeah. you know me too movement yeah. and yeah. you know i would love to have had me too back then yeah. i probably would also add that it would have been helpful to have a therapist to actually talk about these things yeah. with because you know i know that i've done processing but i didn't do the processing that i would have needed back then because essentially yeah, yeah. it is post-traumatic stress disorder yeah, i mean it is totally. that and it does yeah. come back and show itself and there is the shame and there and the guilt and you start thinking did i did i cause this you know yeah. was i inappropriate in a language or the way I yeah. was dressed or because that's what people will say. Well, look at you, yeah. you know, you're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Of course they're going to do that. You know, yeah, I yeah. heard that I would hear that. 
Yeah. I'm like, are you, that doesn't give people the right to, yeah. to treat you in an inappropriate, disrespectful yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry you experienced that. I just, I just hope that um, actually anyone that's listening to this and I, I, I really, I'm so grateful that you, um, that you felt able to share that, that, you know, they just realize you know through your story and through um stories of some other guests that they are not alone um and so they're you know most especially you know the kind of sexual harassment side of things against against women uh that if they speak to other women about it that they will find allies um and that they don't blame themselves and that they um don't feel the shame associated with it but um you know let's let's keep plugging away and yeah hopefully uh, the ripples will will have an effect um well that that um that advice around navigating your way through those challenges and 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 that may, maybe you know kind of what you would advise people to do now was was really really valuable thank you so much for that um you know i i i look at you and i i see a i see a strength and uh, and i and, a, and a, a huge kindness um and i mean for me um you know, two of the you know most important aspects of being a leader are uh, kindness and and strength do you have any advice for our listeners as how they could develop that and become strong kind leaders yeah well as you mentioned i think kindness is so important and i actually my license plate on my car says kind that's actually oh. my license plate oh <laughs> and it's a reminder to myself to be kind to others it's a reminder to myself to be kind to me and when i do teach my classes um that is the thing that i say at the end is remember to be kind to one another which i learned from the ellen show because she always said that at the end (laughs) be kind to each other be kind Mm -hmm. to one another but i added and be kind to yourself yeah and that's something that's that's harder and that i've worked on for years and how can you be kind to yourself you know, what are the ways that you can be kinder to yourself through the language that you talk to yourself about to, yeah. you know, how you take care of your physical body, how you take care of your mental health, you yeah. know, activating all of these pillars of lifestyle medicine, yeah. you know, filling up your own cup, imagining yourself as a cup. And if you turned it over and spilled it out, what will come out? What will come out mm. on the people that look up to you that are, that you're in charge of, that you're taking mm. care of? Is it full yeah. of anger and frustration and stress and disappointment and disrespect? Is your cup empty and nothing's yeah. coming out? Or is yeah. it full of nourishment and well being mm. and self assurance and courage and strength and kindness? So, mm. you know, as a leader, imagine yourself as that cup. What, what's in there? Yeah. And if it doesn't have what you need, go get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I also great. like to say, yeah, yeah, mm. thank you. And mm. and just, you know, I'm sitting here and, and you can't, you know, our listeners can't see it, but I have this thing and it says it's like a metal door with a swinging door. Mm. And it says another opens. And I have this in front of me on my desk all the time. It's one of the first things I see every day. And I want to encourage you, everyone listening, to listen to Dr. Ostrom to say yes. <laughs> not mm. no right away. 
Mm. And remember that there are side doors and back doors, not just front doors mm. to get through when you want to get things done, when you want things to happen. And sometimes you need to create your own door and don't mm -hmm. be afraid to do that. There is yeah. nobody with my unique combination of certifications and trainings, and I'm embracing the unicorn. I encourage you to embrace the unicorn. And if there's something you're really, really passionate about, be that leader, own your lane and mm. create your own door and walk through it. I love that. I love, I love that door. <laughs> and I, I've obviously <laughs> seen it and, and, and um, hopefully we'll put this on YouTube as well. And, and people will actually, <laughs> will actually see it. Um, but that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. The, uh, the possibility of back doors and side doors and, you know, basement doors and <laughs> doors in the roof and <laughs> yeah. doors everywhere and, and just make those doors bring your own metaphorical um sledgehammer with you and uh and make, and make some doors <laughs> yeah i love it and and the kind the kind leadership side of things uh you know starting with self you know one of the um one of my kind of six uh tenets of of good good kind leadership art is is self leadership but um i love the way you talk about the the self kindness as being part of of self leadership um so yeah yeah no we we must um you know it's uh we're not being our authentic selves are we if we're um telling everyone else that they should be kind leaders but we're not we're not being kind to ourselves so um i love that thank you so much some great stuff there um okay we're coming we're coming to the the final final straight now and um what would be your take-home leadership messages for for the listeners please yeah well let's see i would come back to that filling up your own cup yep. with what you need yeah and maybe even taking some time to see what that is. Yeah. If you don't know how to get it, ask. Yeah. Don't focus on lack of resources. Remember to be resourceful. Yeah. And teach others to do the same. If there isn't a door for you to walk through, Build your own. Yeah. It's okay to be that unicorn. Yeah. It's okay to create your own lane and own it. Yeah. Don't be afraid to say yes to things that seem scary and that you don't know how to do because you don't know how to do them yet. Yeah. Yeah. And remember that your age is not a cage. You know, I share with you my age. I'm proud of my age, mm. right? And so you're never too old to learn something new, mm. to become a leader yeah. in something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's very, very true. I love that. Your age is not a cage. Never heard that before. Really like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love all your advice, but that, that one is definitely going to stay with me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah no you're right you're right and uh as you say we do hard things uh all the time 
life is life is 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 challenging these days um for different reasons than it was 50 or 100 years ago um but still still uh equally challenging and we we do it we get on with it we get up in the morning we get a we get ourselves ready we make our bed we get we go out into the world and we and we uh we deal with those challenges so um we can keep doing it and now we know about neuroplasticity there's no there's no reason why age should be the cage um you know um yeah yeah i was 46 not not far off turning 47 when i started a podcast uh yeah didn't didn't think that would happen <laughs> just yeah just yeah if you want it do it yeah do it. if you want it yeah. do it yeah. you know i i love adam coming back to our anatomy a little bit um, i heard a talk by a physician and you know i come back to this question all the time and the question is what does the heart feed first You get in a room of doctors, healthcare professionals, and they got the net. They're thinking about their anatomy, and people raise mm. their hands, and you hear all kinds of things. The brain—that's a common one, mm. right? And so on. And the truth is, the heart feeds itself first. Yeah. But the arteries yeah. that come off of the heart actually go back to the heart yeah. and feed itself first. Yeah. So if we can learn anything, is to feed ourselves first. Yeah. We can't feed other people. And I love that talk so much because yeah. I also was scratching my head, thinking about my anatomy. Okay, so the carotids come on, all these kind of mm. things. And and I ask that question a lot. Yeah. And and we don't get it right. Yeah. <laughs> you get a room yeah. full of doctors and nobody gets it right. Yeah. And the truth is the heart feeds itself first. And so yeah. we should too. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's um, very much in alignment with the, the concept of you know if you don't if you don't look after yourself first you can't look after mm -hmm. other people like your family and your friends and, and and so on isn't it so yeah no love that thank you very very much all right so we have a a, a couple of fun questions now um what are you what are you currently working on um that you're really excited about that you'd like to share with the listeners yeah um well I am <laughs> working on a book. I know I said I didn't like to write, but I'm super excited about this, right? Yeah. So again, it seems to supersede um, that. Maybe I need to get a new a new thought around that. But I'm working on a book. Um, the working title is Feeling Stressed is Optional. And um, that like is going to be due out in, thank you, in September. And it's a book like no other in that there will, there will be little... Um, practices with me, little audio and video files as you go along. So you can practice a lot of things that that I like to teach and share along. Mm. And it's going to be also weaving in lifestyle medicine, you know, and how stress mm. is related to all the different pillars, the sleep and the nutrition and the fitness yeah. and social connection and so on. So I'm really excited about that. Tentatively coming out September 2023. So look out for that. Um, I am also um, leading a fall retreat in the gorgeous Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina in October for physicians with the amazing Dr. Jonathan Fisher, who is top doc mm. cardiologist and internationally acclaimed um, leadership uh, 
and mindfulness expert. And he mm. and I are leading a retreat, a weekend retreat in Boone, North Carolina it, during peak fall foliage season. That's in mid-October. Mm. So we'd love for you to join us. And Asheville is not that far away. So if you're someone that's always wanted to come, make a week out of it, you know, either bookend the retreat before or after um, your time in Asheville. We're very, very excited for this weekend of renewal and growth and connection. And I just finished, as of finishing tonight, uh, my Spring Revive Lifestyle Medicine Group Coaching Program for Physicians. This is the last session of the series, of the 10-week series. And we have the fall session. My colleague, Dr. Melissa Sunderman, and I, another lifestyle medicine certified physician, we are uh, have a wait list for our fall cohort. It's growing. And so we're going to be starting up again our 10-week lifestyle medicine group coaching program called Revive in September. So that is coming up as well. It's amazing. That's so much, so much exciting stuff going on there. Um, the book I, I think uh, I will definitely um, need that book, um, but will want to want to see it anyway. But I think I might <laughs> I might benef benefit a lot from that. Um, the um, the retreat. I mean, I'm I'm already I'm already there in the kind of uh, the the beauty of the Blue Ridge Mountains um, in in the fall as well. Um, you know, in the in the peak of the fall, that's just going to be so gorgeous. Those colours, you know. Oh my goodness. Um, with uh with Jonathan Fisher yet um who uh, I'm I'm very familiar with his excellent work um and the uh the program that you're you're running with Dr Sunderman that's uh yeah amazing amazing well I, I'll uh put put links to all of these things um in the show notes um and uh, hope that uh people um you know reach out to you and uh, obviously local people um or people over in the states um will will come on the retreat um and uh yeah but it's the um the program the revive program is that online so is that can international physicians do that yeah it's virtual yeah. so yeah, cool. anybody can log in and all the yeah. All the sessions are recorded because we know how yeah. busy physicians are. So there's replays yeah. for all of that. And yeah, we go through Excellent. lifestyle medicine, teach behavior change, and yeah. then we go through all the pillars and, and yeah. transformations are abundant. It's amazing. Excellent. Excellent. And obviously I hope lots of people buy your book as well. That sounds really wonderful. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And there's CME for everything as well. So if you're a physician, <laughs> there's CME yeah. with all those yeah. offerings. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so if any of the listeners would like to reach out to you, uh, just, you know, as regarding some of these, these offers or just in general to kind of um, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, they can find a lot of the, all of the information on my website, which is stressfreemd.net and I'm on social media, on LinkedIn, on yeah. Facebook, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I am on Twitter as well. I haven't really broached TikTok yet. And um, my podcast, the Stress-Free MD Podcast, where I teach yep. short, actionable, I call them stress-free snacks of information each week where you can implement what you've learned right away and start to feel better. Brilliant. So I'll uh, get those off you and we'll make sure they're all in the show notes as well. Um, well, all that remains is to say 
do you have any closing words that you'd like to share with the listeners before we go? I would say that if anything that I described to you resonates with you, if you're someone who's suffering with symptoms from stress, if you're someone who's being sexually harassed or bullied, um, if you're someone that is trailblazing, you're not alone, right? You're not alone. Remember that. Remember that there are people that you can reach out to, find them, seek them out. The power of we is very, very strong. I'm here to support you. If I can help you in any way I can, reach out to me. I'm happy to be of support, answer questions. Um, but I want you to understand that you're not alone. Dr. Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, a few weeks ago actually um, put out an advisory for isolation and mm. the damaging effects of lack of social connection and mm. how that's so important for our well-being. So I'd like to drive that home. Harvard Research mentions that that is the number one key component to our well-being, social connecting with others. Wow. Above everything else. Mm. And as a radiologist, I geek out on imaging. So I'm going to share with you that the portion of your brain that functions when you are feeling physical pain is the same portion of your brain that functions when you are feeling lonely and isolated. Mm. That's why it's actually painful. So mm. I want you to remember the importance of others, the importance of, of connecting with others, that you don't need to do any of this alone. Mm. And you'll be stronger and healthier for it. Well, thank you so much. That's really, really interesting. Um, yeah, that that uh, kind of neuro, kind of a physiological, kind of um, explanation you just given. I, I really, I really love that. And uh, you, I mean, I, I use this statistic that you can probably update me on, um, but that that uh, the the kind of persistent um experience of loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day or, or, or something like that i'm sure there are more up-to-date figures than that but it's it's certainly very deleterious to your to your health isn't it to, it to is so, yeah 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 they yeah. talk about the just like you're saying there are statistics about smoking and heart mm. disease and all these other chronic illnesses and yeah. how the lack of social connection actually supersedes all of that with respect to your health and well-being yeah. The mortality rate is even higher. Yeah. Equal to or higher. Yeah. Gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a, a good um a good lesson to uh to end on. And um I'm just so so grateful um to have connected with you um today. And I think your your words will will connect with the audience and and resonate with with lots of the listeners. So um I'm I'm just so grateful to you for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom, your amazing advice with us robin um thank you to everyone for listening um and until the next episode in in two weeks i'd just like to wish you all health happiness and inspiring leadership take care thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the inspiring women leaders podcast today i really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as i enjoyed recording it if you did Please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide 
and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Dr. Adam, Physician Coach. So please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline. So please keep a regular eye on my website, www.dradamharrison.com. That's www.dradamharrison.com for updates. Thank you again for your time today. And please join me next time, two weeks from now on Alternate Wednesdays for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders.